welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome to the ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. I am your co-host, Jenny Scott, master trainer and ISSA product developer here with my co-host with the most, Dan the Mandarin. What's up, Dan? Living the dream, Jenny. Living the dream. <laughs> awesome. We have an awesome guest with us here today. He has, like, his resume is enormous, so I'm only going to read a small part of it for you guys. But he is, he works in a hospital with over 20,000 patients, a special, a special surgery hospital. Um, his name is Dr. Jordan Metzel, and he's recognized for his research on treatment and prevention for running related injuries. Um, I believe he works with um, youth sports as well. He's doing preventative medicine for wellness programs. Um, and he's worked with t- the Today Show, I heard, Dan. Um, That's right. ESPN That's right. Sport and Fitness. Um, he's a medical columnist for the triathlete mag- magazine. That's right up your alley, Dan. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's also working with the New York times wellness section. So welcome Dr. Metzel. Thank you so much. Nice to see you guys. I'm sandwiched. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you don't see what I see, but I'm sandwiched on this screen between two really smiling fit people. They look awesome. So it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. We're so happy to have you here. We have some really good questions for you. Um, but before we dive into like performance, performance and preventative injury, we want to know more about you. So how did you get your start and how did you get to where you are now? All right. Well, um, sure. So I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Me too. Um, is, no, you Woo-hoo. were not. Yes, I was. <laughs> are you Kansas or Missouri? Missouri. Me too. Oh my God. I like it right away. That's it. I feel that. I feel the vibe. Sorry, Dan. Um, I know. I'm I'm, I'm feeling, I'm definitely feeling X'd out here. We'll take you as an honorary Kansas Cityan. Okay. Okay. Jenny, do you like the high school and everything in Kansas City? No, I actually went to high school. I started high school in California and then I moved to Arizona. California, California. (laughs) That's fine. Everybody's California. Does that count? That's right. No, everybody likes it. It's the biggest day. All right. Anyway. So, uh, so I was born in Kansas City and, um, born um, into a family with both parents are medical. My dad's a pediatrician. My mom is a, is a psychologist. And then I have three brothers and everybody's a doctor in the whole family. And so it was kind of destined that, 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 um, that, that medicine was going to be a thing for me. And, uh, and so eventually, you know, did medical school and, um, and in medical school, um, I recognized that in addition to kind of learning some interesting stuff. My brain absorbed information a lot better when I was exercising and after I'd exercise. And I'm like, you know, I just have to run every day and that makes me a better student and feel better about what I'm doing. And so was immediately very interested in that kind of stuff. And fast forward to residency and then eventually fellowship in sports medicine. And I found that I naturally gravitated towards people that were doing athletic things. And then over the course of like now 20 years, um, I've been lucky enough to build a career which initially was all about sports medicine and taking care of injuries and figuring out the best way to fix people's problems. And then I had kind of a whole separate life of uh, doing sport myself. So I would do marathons. I did my first marathon in actually residency in Boston. 
Nice. Um, and now 35 marathons later, I'm still going strong. Whoa. And you and Dan triathlons and, and <laughs> Ironman and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so I had kind of a separate sport life. So I had like my doctor life, my sports medicine life and my, and my, and my fitness life. And over time, what's happened is I've been lucky enough to try and start building and bringing a bridge between these two lives. So I have kind of my, my medical life as a doctor and my fitness life as a fitness person have really increasingly come together. And so now I'm actively involved in prescribing exercise to my patients. We started a course at Cornell for the second year med students called Prescribing the Medicine of Exercise, Teaching Doctors of the Future How to Prescribe Exercise. Oh, I started awesome. my own fitness community, which is now like seven years old. And we do just big workouts, thousand person workouts all over the place up on the Intrepid, a big aircraft carrier here and a bunch of virtual stuff. And so nice. it's been really neat to kind of see these two worlds of medicine and fitness come together and, um, and to be able to prescribe that and be part of that. And so, you know, my interest in all the things related to sports medicine and fitness are around kind of bringing you know, medical perspectives to trainers and bringing trainers to medical perspectives. In fact, I refer to a number of trainers for strength and conditioning and for fitness. I think that's one of the pieces people work on just fixing an injury, but they don't fix why the injury happened in the first place. It's so refreshing to hear because those of us who work full-time in fitness are, are just constantly beating our hands against the wall saying, why isn't the medical community embracing the power of movement and, and nutrition, especially given what we've gone through over the last year. So this is extremely refreshing to hear. Yeah, no, I feel the same. I mean, we've, it's been, um, you know, I've been, been lucky enough to try and get the message out in the big stage. So New York's obviously a big stage and yeah. have been lucky enough to do a whole series of, of books and about this kind of interface of medicine and fitness and a bunch of stuff with the New York times about this stuff. And, and the nice thing about all that stuff is it's helping spread the word on the medical side but I completely agree with you that, that, uh, that we've not done a very good job on the medical side. We talk it, but we don't actually do it or live it or prescribe it. And so what I'm trying to do um, on my side and a number of other great colleagues as well is to try and make this part of what we do. Because, you know, I, I have a talk that I give where I show a dam with, uh, you know, a lot of water on one side and the water coming through the dam on the other side. And what I explain is that we spend almost $3 trillion a year in the United States um, taking care of the water after it comes through the dam. So after somebody gets heart disease, after somebody gets depression, after somebody gets advanced arthritis, after somebody gets diabetes, we spend a lot of money taking care of those medical problems. They eat up a huge part of our, of our budget. It's almost 17, 18% of our GDP spent on healthcare. But what we're actually doing is spending a lot of money taking care of people after they're unhealthy. So if we could get everybody off their butts and exercising every single day and figuring out ways to do that, no matter how old, how young. In my classes in Central Park now that I do, you know, we have the last class I did, I had like a six-year-old and her 81-year-old grandma doing the same exercises. So it's pretty awesome how um, cool. to see that that's doable across the whole spectrum of, of you know, age. And, and we should be thinking about that as part of what we do. And, and so I'm kind of tired of doctors just kind of saying it, but not doing it. So that's why I'm a big fan of doing it as well. Well, I, I tell you what, we could listen to this, just this topic <laughs> yeah. all day long. Uh, but in, uh, it, to, to keep things on point and to, to respect our relationship with you, we want to dive into some, some kind of some focused areas. And, and I say that because I know, I, could, I just know, Jenny could ask 10 personal yeah. questions. <laughs> I could ask 10, right now, personal training questions. How do I do this, that, the other? 
not just for me, but another 10 for my teenage son who plays sports, but in honor of the relationship and the new partnership we have with HyperIce, who facilitated uh, your being here and, and our ability to, to learn from you, we want to kind of take a, and, and tunnel things into the recovery space. And, and, and I guess a really good place to start, because again, you've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, Dr. Metzl, what have you seen as trends, changing trends, evolving trends over the last, let's say 10 years? And you can take it back further if there's something of note. Sure. So it's interesting in sports medicine. So I think that, um, you know, sports medicine before I got into it was an evolving field back from the 1970s, 1980s. In fact, um, one of the first sports medicine doctors on the orthopedic side, I work at a place called the Hospital for Special Surgery, which is the biggest orthopedic hospital in the world. And we train, you know, people in all aspects of sports medicine, orthopedic surgery, uh, rheumatology. Um, and, and so we train people that go all over the world. And one of the first heads of sports medicine was a guy named John Marshall, who um, was one of the early sports medicine doctors, tragically. He died in a plane crash on the way to Lake Placid and uh, was one of our first heads of sports medicine. But he and another guy who's here, uh, Dr. Russell Warren, you know, there's all kinds of people that are quote unquote sports medicine. And it's kind of a catch word that a lot of people kind of use. Some use it very well. Some use it liberally, I would say. Um, but in any case, that's the history of sports medicine. Now, when it comes to where we are as a field, um, you know, the initial part was recognizing the injuries. So things like diagnosing injuries using history and x-ray and then MRI to diagnose different injuries was step one. Step two was then learning how to treat some of these injuries. How do you treat a torn ACL, a torn meniscus, a stress fracture, a hamstring strain? What's the best way to do that? And so we spent a long time, probably the first 15, 20, 25 years diagnosing and then 20, 25 years treating. And I think we're at a point now where we're very good at thinking about diagnosing and treating, and we're starting to think more about preventing. So how do we prevent ACL tears with strengthening? How do we prevent stress fractures with healthy bone density? How do we prevent hamstring strains with good dynamic warm-up and um, you know, paying attention to your muscle balance, anterior, posterior chain, those kind of things? I think where we are now in recovery is that we've figured out diagnosis. We've figured out treatment. We've figured out prevention by and large. And I think recovery is the wild, wild west. I think you hear all kinds of crap from recovery, like, you know, take an ice bath, don't take an ice bath, heat, yeah. don't heat, take Epsom salt, don't take Epsom salt, do infrared, don't do infrared. I mean, you name the wild crap and people are doing it all across the board. And so I think we are now starting to think about recovery, but I see that as the last leg of the journey in sports medicine to teach people how to recover. And some of the things I've noticed about recovery is that everybody wants to do it. There's not a one size fits all and that it gets a lot harder as people get older um, and that people care more about it as they, you know, as they get older or they get more serious about their sport. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of trends in recovery, um, you know, things like stretching, which were so popular, probably don't make as big of a difference as we thought they did. Um, you know, cooling may make a little bit of a difference, but nearly as much, you know, the whole ice bath and all that stuff may not, may not make much of a difference at all. Um, but, you know, figuring out training loads and training cycles, uh, figuring out workload and workload management, those kind of things may make a big difference in recovery. And then some of the things that, that Hyperice has been involved with, vibration therapy for recovery, compression therapy for recovery. I think those kind of things are pretty interesting. And I think those are part of this new frontier. Um, you know, as full disclosure, I am on the advisory board with Hyperice, 
And I always caution that I want to make sure that we don't say too much about the quote unquote science of some of the things that are not yet fully scientifically proven. So I try and be Absolutely. objective of, listen, I know that in my athletes or myself, vibration therapy seems to really help, but we don't have strong evidence yet that vibration therapy, for example, accelerates recovery, nor compression therapy. We don't have strong scientific evidence, but we have a lot of anecdotal evidence, which is how a lot of this stuff starts. So I think it's important to be credible to say, yes, these are things that we try and they certainly can't hurt and they likely help people anecdotally, but we have to be honest about the fact that we can't say if you do this for this amount of time, it's absolutely going to speed up everybody's recovery because we can't say we have to be honest about what we say. That's so true. Yeah, it is very subjective. You're talking to two people right here that have vibration plates in our homes and we have, I have a hyper ice. Like I, and you're absolutely right. For me, it works. Yeah. You've got your, your gun right there. Like for me, it works for my boyfriend or for my mom, it may not work as well. You know, they may not get the same relief from it. And that's kind of fitness in general, even the programming aspect of it. Um, people are going to respond differently to what you're doing, but why do you feel like everybody's taking it so seriously? Why is everybody like, Oh my gosh, recovery. Why is this a thing? I think a couple of reasons. First of all, nobody wants to be in pain. They want to do their workouts. They want to do their sports and they don't want to be down. Mm -hmm. Um, number two is I think we have more, I think one of the things COVID has really encouraged people kind of being more interested in their health and fitness and wellness. And people are kind of more tuned in and we've seen a trend towards more intensity. Actually, the, the, the fourth book I did was a book on high intensity interval training, the science behind HIT, called the workout prescription. And it was a whole book on examining the science of HIT. And when I did that book, it was one of the early books on, on HIT training. Now, like everybody's all about intensity and how do I do like the maximum stuff and the minimum time, which I love. But that leads to much more muscle use. It leads to much more muscle fatigue. It leads to, you know, much more muscle tightness. If, you know, I'm not sure the hip workout leads to more injury, but people are more interested in, in going. And then also, you know, people are exercising older in life. It's not, I have a woman I saw today, 83, that wants to do the New York marathon this year. Oh, you wow. know, that's not somebody you would have seen before, but we see them now. And so it's great. So those kind of people are thinking about, listen, you know, in my old days, I could run every day. Now I may get two runs in a week. How do I do that? How do I recover from that? She's got a lot of concerns about that. And so talking to people about recovery has become an important thing for me. You know what time it is. Time for another ISSA rapid review. Here's what Alex in Ontario had to say about the ISSA CPT course. The course as well as the texts are excellent. I've reviewed other certification materials in depth and found that ISSA materials was far superior. The textbook alone is twice the size of a competing company's textbook and also contains far greater detail in every aspect of personal training. The addition of boot camps, digital copies of study material, and the fast track system, calculators, and business references, along with regular support from ISSA, makes this the best overall purchase I've made when it comes to certification. Thank you so much, Alex. Doctor, you mentioned COVID. So uh, let's jump off the, the tracks for just a second, and, and then we're going we're gonna to jump back on. But on that, on that topic, for you as a practicing physician, how has your day-to-day -day, uh, changed in your practice or the practice you know, with your, with your uh, constituents when it started, let's just call it the last year, you know, since last March, April? What, yeah. what, have, what has changed for you? A ton. So, um, you know, I'm in New York City. So this was the epicenter of the pandemic in the United States. And, you know, so just to kind of paint the picture and Jenny, you'll appreciate this. So as a lifelong Kansas City Chiefs fan, 
my life was filled with agony on the couch every Sunday. <laughs> I'm a Bears team. fan now, so it still is. <laughs> All right. So, you know, it was basically, they would get close enough just to tear your heart out and lose and be like, oh man, this sucks. And that's just how it goes. That's how I went for a long time. So finally, the Chiefs get great quarterback and they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And so I'm like, well, hell, I'm not missing this. I'm lucky enough to do a bunch of work with ESPN. And and so I said, listen, I'm cashing in some favors. I need two tickets to this game. So I flew down to Miami and lo and behold, my team won. If you ever want to see a grown man cry, that was the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. It was was a religious experience right there. Um, So my team won, came back to New York in February riding high, feeling awesome. And all of a sudden we started hearing about this kind of virus. What is it? Uh, Maybe whatever. And then all of a sudden in mid-March, we went from hearing about this to um, shutting down everything. And as a doctor, they shut down our practices. We, I left New York city for about three months, went up to Connecticut. Um, I went from never doing one telemedicine visit in my whole life to having my entire practice be virtual for three months. Didn't see a patient in person for three months. Our hospital went from being the biggest orthopedic hospital in the world to an overflow hospital. We had patients that were with COVID on ventilators, you know, dying of COVID in our hospital around the city. Um, so a total, I mean, the reason why New Yorkers are so freaked out about this is because we lived through a lot of people dying and a lot at the beginning, it was terrifying. Now, over the, from then to now, what are some of the things? Well, first of all, I'm now back fully in person, but I have one afternoon a week where all my patients I see on telemedicine because they're wherever they are and people love seeing their stuff on, on a screen instead of coming in. So I review MRIs <laughs> and I see consultations. It's pretty cool, but people are very interested in, you know, preventive wellness and, yeah. and trying to figure out the lessons of COVID. One of the, some of the things we've learned are that, you know, if you're, if you're unfit, if you're unwell, if you're unhealthy, it hits you a lot harder yeah. um, in terms of dying. Now, the thing that we've not figured out is that people that get sick can be very healthy and get really sick. And I've seen a number of patients that are super young, super healthy, and have had a lot of long-term problems. That's why I'm just going to, I'm such a huge, in fact, I have my next fitness class on Tuesday evening in Central Park. I got 145 people signed up with a waiting list of about another 50 people. Wow. And my only caveat is as of May 1st, if you're over 16 years old, you have to have a vaccine or you can't come. That's it. Vaccine or you can't show up. Um, There you go. And um, because, you know, having lived through this whole thing, the vaccines are amazing. And, um, and so people are really thinking about preventive health and preventing, you know, this. And so that has been interesting, the messaging around keeping people healthy, the messaging around recognizing, you know, what some of the long-term manifestations of COVID can be. Um, and I'd say just as a doctor, it's made me in a weird way, really appreciate my role much more that I feel like. I've, you know, I, I, lo- I really loved what I do, did before, but now I really feel lucky to be a doctor, to be able to help people through this kind of tough time. And um, it's made me appreciate my focus on preventive wellness a lot more too. Um, and I think those are some of the lessons from COVID. Yeah. I feel like people are going to listen to you more now, right? Yeah. I think so. All of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy the way it's all changed and the way people are actually looking at preventative healthcare and, and even just, you see more people going to the gym or like, I live in a neighborhood where everybody walks and everybody is always outside now. And it's awesome. Except for me, I have three dogs. So walking three big dogs, trying not to attack other people's dogs is, is a hot mess, but, <laughs> but what are some of the things that you feel like, whether it's trainers, general population, other athletes of any age, what do you think there's some things that they forget about whether it's preventative healthcare, taking care of themselves, or even recovering from exercise? What are they missing? 
Well, I think the big thing, well, a couple of things. Number one is I love social media. I do, you know, I do, I use Instagram a lot for among other things for a bunch of the stuff, trying to get my messaging out like everybody else does. And I think it's got a lot of value. Um, but I think some of the downfall is that there's this kind of view that you should look like this and do like this and do these exercises. And these are the things you can do. And you have some people that are just like, you know, naturally gifted, physically gifted, the right age, the right, whatever, doing these exercises and people are like, well, I should definitely be able to do this because they're doing this. And, and, you know, there's a whole kind of social virtual social pressure that, that falls into that, which is, uh, I think we're all prey to. Um, and so I think that, that one of the things that's been a problem is that we've kind of lost, you know, the idea that just doing something is great and you should do the very best you can but that you don't have to look like that person that's like kind of, you don't have to have that same body that a person looking at the screen or do the same thing. And it's just good for you to do what you can do. Yeah. And I feel like that's been really tough in the age of social media. I think it's been, there's a lot of body image stuff, a lot of, you know, a lot of pro- exercise, you know, uh, I don't know what the right, but I guess pressure, virtual exercise pressure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's a tough, I think that's something people really have to be sensitive to. I, I think, um, you know, cause it's not uncommon. I see people that hurt themselves trying to do something they shouldn't be doing or too, too quickly, not paying attention to their body. And so I think empowering people to be good body listeners. Um, and I'm sure on the training side, that's something you guys think about as well. I mean, is it, I'm, I'm curious about that. Absolutely. I always tell people fitness means different things to different people. Like I'm a competitive bodybuilder and I'm in season right now. So do I want my clients to look like me? No. Do you want to do all the work that it takes to look like this? Probably not. Um, but my mom who's 74 years old and, you know, has a bunch of chronic conditions, but she's doing just fine, um, for her getting out and working out three days a week. I'm like, good for you, mom, you know, keep going. That's what, that's, what's going to keep you going. Um, same thing for my twin brother. We don't look anything alike. His fitness for him looks something very different. Um, so yeah, you can't look like, or be like everybody else. You have to do what works best for you. The best kind of exercise is the kind you'll do, right? (laughs) thousand percent. But can you beat your brother in arm wrestling or not? I, I don't know. He's six, five. He's a big boy, a but I probably could. I could take him out at the knees. <laughs> so. I'm not going to arm wrestle her. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I didn't ask you. That's it. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, I do think that that's a good point, Jen, that, um, that, you know, the Holy grail of fitness is compliance. That's the yeah. key. And so that's what I tell people when I give lectures all the time to medical groups remember that the holy grail of fitness is compliance getting people to think about doing something they'll do and the thing that they'll do is something that brings a smile to their face if it's zumba if it's yoga if it's pilates if it's you know hip training if it's biking swimming whatever they'll whatever make them smile that's what'll make them do and i think part of the piece that's been tough in the pandemic we've actually been tracking some of the data on people's activity patterns during the pandemic and about 25% of the people have done a lot less, about 25% of people have done a lot more, and about 50% of people have kind of stuck with what they've done. But getting people to smile and not have their in-person community has been tougher. So I think getting people back into gyms and fitness areas, I, I think has been great. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And uh, I think the more people get vaccinated, the more people can get back into doing their lives, the better, better it'll be. Now, where you guys, you guys are both in California? Uh, no, uh, Dan's in Idaho and I'm in Arizona. So what's the, what, what's the mood out there just where you guys are in terms of the, 
you know, the, the vaccine stuff and the fitness stuff. What's what's going on where you guys are? I'm curious. I think in Arizona right now, I think it's something like 47 or 50 percent of people are vaccinated here. Um, and it's everywhere. I can go down the street to a little business center where you can get tested and they now offer mm-hmm. the shots. Um, so actually my boyfriend just got his second shot today. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty big and people are ready to get back to, we were also one of the first States to lift restrictions too. So people are ready to get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And in Idaho, I don't know what the percentage would be as far as, you know, vaccinations and so forth, but, you know, we felt things quite a bit different here or they were dealt with differently, most likely, uh, because we don't have a dense population and, you know, I'm out here on six acres with one kid, one wife, and two cows and a dog. <laughs> uh, my neighbors are not next door. Um, but for example, here in, in my local town, our gym, to my knowledge, never closed. I moved here last May from Colorado, and I've been working out in that gym since last May. Um, so a bit different in, in you know regionally, and I've talked to some folks in other states like Alabama who experienced the same thing. So definitely different in, I believe, in these more wide open spaces. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now, when I was in Colorado, you mentioned something. I'm just going to throw it out there. Actually, it was Jenny that mentioned it that I that I thought was really cool uh, is we were there until May of last year. And so lockdown had occurred, you know, for lack of a better word, businesses were closed, gyms were closed and everything. And I, you know, like to run and ride a bike outside. And I have never seen so many people take to the trails as they did last April and May. And, and my guess is now I'm no longer in Colorado, but I would be willing to bet that for a lot of folks, that was something newer. Uh, maybe they weren't usually out pulling the stroller, pushing the stroller, uh, jogging, riding a bike and so forth. But I would be willing to bet that they've maintained that habit. So it was really refreshing to see. Yeah. We've seen a lot of people, you know, I, I, um, I'm lucky enough to work with, with ASICs and uh, we've seen and, and the stuff we've done with them. A lot of people getting out running first new runners, big spike in first time runners, new runners, yeah. walkers um, has been really fascinating just to see, you know, the, the base of the pyramid grow because people realize that they got to get moving and they don't have a lot of resources in their gyms and stuff. And I think it really did spur a lot of that. Uh, my office is now quite busy with people who didn't have, who they, they didn't have a good training program. They didn't kind of gradually ramp up what they're doing. And so I see a lot of aches and pains right now. The, the couch to marathon in two weeks training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good Guilty. for my business, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I don't run even when being chased. So you two are on your own with that. But, but like when it comes to running, for example, or even triathletes or Ironman competitors, I know you were saying, and I completely agree that no, there is no one size fits all recovery. You can't say you're going to do cryotherapy. You're going to stretch, you're going to foam roll and it's going to work for you. But what kind of things would you recommend for a, like a first time runner who maybe doesn't want to have these injuries? What kind of things would you recommend for them to recover? So, you know, I think the key thing is first of all, getting on a, not getting hurt in the first place and not overworking themselves. In the first place. So good, smart training program with a gradual build incorporating cross training and strength training into their, into their routines, I think is really important. Um, and, uh, I think that's super important. I think, uh, so that's number one being Get good right body listeners. Shoes. <laughs> yeah. Good body listeners. We work a lot on stride mechanics and the right mm-hmm. pair of shoes and the right form and all those kind of things. Um, you know, I think those are all really helpful. And then on the recovery side, you know, make sure you're, you know, we see, so this, there's an idea called acute to chronic workload. So if it's like a baseball pitcher or a swimmer or a runner, 
you know, when you start loading on too much volume over too short a period of time, you end up causing a lot of injuries. And so we just did a study a couple of years ago at the New York Marathon finding that there was kind of an acute to chronic workload ratio where if you ran too many days in succession, especially if you were a new runner, you ended up causing a lot of problems. And so making sure you're, you have a good program for recovery, um, meaning you're taking enough time in between off. Yeah. And then, you know, I think some of the things I'm not a huge stretching fan. I'm not, it just doesn't work for me so well, but I'm a big strength training fan and I'm a big myofascial release fan. So I have, you know, a lot of my patients use vibration therapy, foam rolling, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of muscles get, you know, super tight and that causes, you know, pain. It can cause injury. It causes a lot of joint discomfort. So working on the soft tissue, I kind of explain to people, it's like this, you know, it's like the protective lining around your skeleton and you got to really work on that stuff. People don't think about it enough about that, but it makes it, even people with like arthritic knees, they think my knees are arthritic, you know, turn me into glue. And I'm like, no, listen, you know, there's a, if you work on those muscles around your knees, we can make those arthritis symptoms so much less. And so it works across the board. Yeah. And then it comes down to, like you said before, consistency, right? Absolutely. You got to do it as often as you can. And would you recommend something like foam rolling or SMR between every session? Like there's, is there too much SMR? Is that a thing? I think so. I think that's, you know, foam rolling. I think you can foam roll. Um, you know, I think you can foam roll every day. I think it's great. You can do vibration therapy every day. I think there's no such thing as too much. There you go. Yeah. So stay consistent with it. All right. So before we end though, I have a rapid fire question for you. Um, ISSA is built on a series of core values. And one of ours is that we live grit and resilience. We're scrappy. We're tenacious. We tackle obstacles head on and we get things done. Um, can you tell us how you live grit and resilience in your life? Oh, yeah, I can. <laughs> I think he was um, waiting for this question yeah. since we started. I know it's coming, but I, I mean, listen, I live grit and resistance every single freaking day when my alarm goes off at like 520 in the morning. I'm like, oh, shh, I know I don't want to get up, but I get out of bed and I drag my butt to Central Park when the sun's coming up and I'm out there and I'm firing it up. And then I come into my office and I got all these people. I'm like, I got to be the best person I can and do all my stuff. And I try and set goals and give back to the community. And I'm like, if you don't like, I feel like your life is an athlete, your life is a person. You just take that, you know, it's easier to sit on the couch and do nothing, but it's not nearly as satisfying. So whatever it is you want to do, you get out there and you do it and you do it with heart and you make it go. And so grit and resilience is what it's all about. That's awesome. True servant mentality right there. Mic drop. (laughs) Dang, that's it. That's it. No wonder he's been, you could just see his eyes light up when you ask that. Cause I, you know, we're on video. This is a podcast, but we're on video when we shoot this. And uh, for all the listeners out there, if you could have seen Dr. Metzl's eyes light up, uh, we're speaking his language now. I think we're ready for another 30 minutes. We second wind right here. So now I think you guys all need to follow him. So tell us, doctor, how can we reach you? How can people find you? Yeah, pleasure to. So um, I use it at Dr. Jordan Metzel on uh, all social media platforms, um, and then I have a website which is drjordanmetzel.com. On uh, you know you can find register for our newsletter, and you can see the stuff we have coming up, and uh, all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Very cool. So definitely check him out. I follow you on Instagram. It's a hoot. I love it. I love learning. So I love to hear what people have to say. <laughs> Good. Plus yeah. we got the KC bond. So that's good. I know. I know. Yeah. And I'm a bears fan now. So it's all just disappointment. I get it. <laughs> Dan, any last, any last words for our listeners today? 
You know, I, I have no words of wisdom here because uh, there's just no way to top what Dr. Metzl said. But what I would like to, to share is my gratitude for your time, Dr. Metzl, for the partnership with HyperIce, uh, for, for making this possible. Uh, we're really excited about the opportunities ahead. We're excited about working together. So big, uh, you know, tip of the hat to, to HyperIce uh, for, for this, you know, again, this opportunity. And again, rewind. You want words of wisdom? Rewind. Go about two minutes back to the grit and resilience speech by Dr. Metzl. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with us. We absolutely appreciate your time. Looking forward to working with you. Um, and to all of our listeners, we say so long and make good choices. Yeah.